Hi, this is Chantel Schieffer, President and CEO of Leadership Montana. Views and opinions shared by guests of Listen First Montana do not reflect the opinions of all of our alumni or organization. We are a large group with lots of opinions, believe me. If you hear something that makes you uncomfortable, we invite you to listen deeply, listen hard, and listen first. Welcome to Listen First Montana. I'm Eric Halverson. This week I'm in Billings with Chris Carpenter, one of the most well-known entrepreneurs and community activists in Montana's largest urban center. Chris spent much of her early career living as a self-described poor artist, when suddenly, in 1998, she had what she calls an entrepreneurial seizure, or an all-consuming urge to do something different, to make something new out of her own vision, to create a business guided by the simple mission statement, we take care of women. Sanctuary Spa and Salon was born. In a world where startup salons typically only keep their doors open for five years, we'll talk to Chris about how Sanctuary Spa and Salon, some 23 years later, is open and thriving. Chris also created and owns the Joy of Living gift shop and previously helped create the Black Dog Coffee House. In today's conversation, we'll hear from Chris about the headwinds she faced when starting her business, her advice for young entrepreneurs, hint, it's not to start with your why, how she views customer experience and customer service, and her thoughts on working effectively with millennials. We'll also hear from Chris about her beloved hometown of Billings, where she is a prominent community activist and seems to have a hand in most significant community initiatives. And there have been some big ones lately, notably the highly charged non-discrimination ordinance. Chris Carpenter is a graduate of the 2018 Leadership Montana Flagship Program, and in 2019, I was lucky enough to be her classmate in the Leadership Montana Master's class. She strikes me as both infinitely optimistic and firmly grounded in reality. To me, Chris is a wonderful example of how a person can be deeply concerned with and invested in addressing injustices in our community while also allowing plenty of space for joy and humor in each day. Chris Carpenter, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Eric. It's nice to be with you. You started this business that we're sitting in now. Mm -hmm. I just got a fun little tour of it. It made me want a massage really bad. <laughs> and it was based around, and the, the founding idea, as I understand, was that you really wanted to take care of women. So mm -hmm. I want to talk about your journey as a female entrepreneur in that time, because it sounds like you certainly ran up against some headwinds um, yeah. that were challenging. But first and foremost, you tell me about how you hatched this idea for Sanctuary Spot and Salon. Well, it actually started in journaling. I wrote about it before it even really happened. You know, it was like, what if there was this? What if? It was kind of this inner sense of just wanting to create something. I was living on the ranch. You know, that was all fine and dandy and liked it. And then I decided to go into hair, worked for another company for 10 years. And I did that literally, like you said, because it was great income and it was really fun. It's creative. And I loved, you know, I, I, I enjoy working. So started Chris doing that. great hair, yeah. by the way, if you're wondering. <laughs> you must be at this point. Great hair. But... <laughs> 
I decided when I traveled, I would always go and find spas. And, you know, that was quite some time ago. So I started researching spas in the country. And probably the best known one was in Connecticut, kind of the forefront, the first person who really started a day spa. So of course, I had to go see her and meet her. And, and I had written her a letter and went with some friends. We'd gone to a beauty conference in New York City, took the train up to Connecticut, and we're getting done with our services. Of course, I was the last one because I had to try everything. And somebody's pointing, and I'm like, I know who this woman is, like, because I've seen her in the magazines, and you know, and it was like rock star. I was just dumbstruck. And she had come to meet me, and it was like this amazing moment. This woman came to meet me. I don't even know what I had written to her. She said, I'm having your letter framed. And I'm like, wow, I don't know what. But what had happened, the, one of the girls I worked with at the previous place I worked brought me an article. It was a one-page article that this about this woman her philosophy of business, how she thought about her employees and her guests. And I was like, oh, my God, this is what it looks like. This is this thing that I've been writing about. So within a couple of weeks, I literally quit my job, signed an intent to lease on this property. I didn't know that was a legally binding document. I had no idea. I didn't know anything about business. So <laughs> I luckily at that time convinced my husband that it was a great idea for us to invest in this. And he was very nice and said, okay. And... Um, here we were and into this business that, oh my gosh, I cried every day the first year because I had no idea what I was doing and made are every... Are you exaggerating or is that... Are you no, I seriously, serious? one of my staff, previous staff said, I think I do remember, I think you did cry. have a calendar and make I think you did cry every day. I mean, it was just like nuts. <laughs> but, you know, what do you do? You dig in and you learn and you take, you know, I ended up taking classes and learning about finances and learning how to do it. I mean, intuitively, I knew... It was right, and it was good what we did. So I knew to create this space, but I really wanted a place to take care of women because women, they give, they give, they give. If they work, if they have kids, if they don't have kids, whatever it is, they tend to be depleted. And no one says, hey, would you like me to do something for you or whatever? I mean, it was crazy. So I found to create this place we could take a woman for an hour, two hours a day, I don't care, and fill her bucket so that she walks out of here, even if it's just a haircut, the shampoo can make all the difference in the world to somebody. So it kind of became a thing, and then I started finding it became occasion for people. We'd have people who would come, you know, groups would come from out of town, from Wyoming, they'd come up, and they'll come for a day, and I was like, how cool is that? That's crazy. We made this place up, and these people want to come and spend time together. So they would come together and have things, and some people, it was, I see them three to four times a year, Christmas, Valentine's, Mother's Day, their birthday. They get a gift certificate. They would never do it for themselves, but it's the gift that they get. So it doesn't matter how it shows up or what it is. It's so much fun. I mean, probably one of the most moving pieces was I had a woman who, first time I met her, she came, and it was to celebrate. Her son had passed as a little boy, and she came here to remember him, and she comes every year. Every year she comes. And it's like, you know, we cry together. We were celebrate we remember him but it's like that she has a place that it's safe to never forget her son and always get to honor him she's done that for 22 years that's pretty remarkable to 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 know that this sanctuary is her place so that's the kind of stuff that I um 
I don't know. That's that's why it's never changed. We love men. We have great male guests, but it's really about nurturing and taking care of a woman. And Joy of Living's an offshoot of that, which is just more of a fun element of, you know, to buy a gift. Women are busy. We gift wrap for them. We make it easy. They can pop in. They can grab something. They can just, some people will just come to take a break and read funny cards. I don't, anything. It's just like, I, there's nothing makes you happier than being in the store and just hearing somebody laughing, reading this stuff on some of the stuff we sell. It's great. So Chris, uh, what jumps out to me when I talk to you is that your why behind what you do is incredibly clear and you've, you've, you know, distilled it down to this, uh, you know, we take care of you or, Mm -hmm. you know, we take care of women. Mm -hmm. And I, um, I'm, curious if you think that that clarity around your why um, is the main reason why you've had so much success and longevity as a business owner. Yeah, I, I think sometimes, I mean, when I first opened, we had a page long mission statement and nobody could remember it. And I went, well, that's kind of dumb. And so when we finally figured out it was, it was, we take care of you. And we left it at that. And it's, it's really our North Star. It is, it is the piece and it's never changed. Um, as much as I've tried different things, oh my gosh, I have gone down different avenues and done things that are off the edges and they always fail. But when I come back to that, that's something that's probably never going to change. You know, we'll be able to, you know, really meet somebody's needs. And it's all, it's just about showing up and being person to person with people and, you know, listening to them, seeing what they want and making them feel fabulous. You know, it's not even so much about the work and the way stuff looks. It's about connect. It's about connection. It's about finding that person on the level they are. And, and, you know, technically you have to train and you have to be good, but that isn't the deal. You know, anybody can, they can learn all those things. But if you can understand how to really tap into a person, what they need, listen to them and deliver it, that's success. Mm-hmm. Bing. I want to follow up on that just a little bit. You, I, I would presume that you have young entrepreneurs who come to you for advice mm-hmm. quite a bit. Yeah. Is the thing that you say, first and foremost, get clear on your why. Because you're clear on your why. I mean, I I, I sense yeah. a, quite a bit of modesty in your response to my last question, which is that you don't really want to talk too much about your business success, but you've been incredibly successful. So is that what you're communicating to young entrepreneurs? So, I mean, the why is super important, but that's probably not even the first thing. I would say first, do your work. Get it on paper. If you can't prove it on paper, don't even go there. Because sometimes people fall in love with their idea a little too hard. What do you mean put it on paper? Like get the business plan? Get the business okay. plan. Business is business. I'm sorry. That's the <laughs> one thing I do know. If you don't have good business guts, you've got nothing. It's true. It's true. I mean, I just find people who fall in love with their thing, and I'm like, seriously, is that even going to work? Have you even done the numbers? You know, I, I mean, I just remember the best advice I got was literally, if you can't prove it on paper, you can't. I mean, my business plan, plan that I took to the bank for my first loan looks like freaking science fiction. Nobody I said who would work for me worked for me. Half of it was never even came into existence. But going through that process makes you prove, you know, there's a reason you do those. And there's a re- I mean, they're not they're not the fun part. They're not sexy. There's nothing about that that anybody loves doing. Well, maybe accountants do, but 
nobody else. <laughs> it, it's not fun. It's just not fun. And it's still the part that I struggle with having to go back and, you know, really work on those core things of business. I'd rather talk about all the other lovely stuff. Knowing your why is one thing, but you have got to be willing to do the work. And it's hard. And you have to, you have to do it. Because I just sometimes go, you know, that's a really great idea, but it sounds like that's a hobby. That's not a business. That's not a business. Don't you? you know, and that's where I struggle with entrepreneurship. It is fabulous, but I just think there's too little attention to the basics. The other thing I worry about with so much push with entrepreneurship is that let's talk about responsibility to the community and to, you know, frankly, we all have to pay taxes. And I find with entrepreneurship, there's a piece that's always missed, and it's fiscal responsibility and being straight up. You bring money in, you owe taxes. That's just how it works here. Everybody gets to pay for everything. And I find too many people that are so cash happy that that's my money. I'm not going to report it, and I'm not going to pay taxes on it. And I really struggle with that piece because that, I think, is going to be another impact we're going to have of so much entrepreneurship that the money is not coming into the communities and the state and everything like we have to have to keep having our nice roads that we drive on and our water that we turn the tap on and it's there. It's just something that I really think is bigger than people realize. Just me. In a previous podcast, we had Courtney McKee on. I really enjoyed talking to her about how, you know, people often silo themselves as being sort of either a thinker or a feeler. And she talks about how we can be the thinks and the feels at the same time. Those are those are her words, and that sort of occurs to me when I'm talking to you is that you're like you're you're a visionary, right, and very excited about mm-hmm. what could be and how we could be creative, but at the same time you're grounded in this. Or is it is grounded yeah. a fair way? Is grounded's that a really good term because it's seriously if you're not, you're off the rails, mm-hmm. and it pains me when I see small businesses fail. And they fail because they didn't plan to not fail. They didn't plan. They mm. just got busy doing. And you have to, you have to figure out how it's going to work. I mean, it's, I take tons of risk. I take risk all the time. Like every time you try something new, it's a risk. I've had a business fail. You know, we had a kid's store that was the stupidest thing I ever did, but I just did it. I mean, I've had, I've made lots of mistakes and lost lots of money doing it. And it's really, it's not about the money so much, but Frank, if you don't have money, it's hard to pay your employees, taxes, everything else you need. you got to plan for that. Um, and I say a lot of this because I have made a lot of mistakes. There's so much I didn't know. If you could have done it wrong the first couple of years, I did it. You know, things I didn't know the labor board, how this worked, found out how it worked. Oops, fix it. Okay, get back on the rails. But you have to... You just have to work really hard at that part to stay in business. I mean, in my industry, most salons don't make it five years. Five years, that's it. Mm-hmm. Most people who start don't make it five years in beauty school. It's, it's like just the numbers are there for high rate of failure. And it doesn't mean it's wrong if you fail. It just is, I don't know. I'm like, I don't like wasting time. I like to, I like to get things done. That's kind of my thing. I like to see stuff happen.
So let's back up a little bit. So when you started this in 1998, mm-hmm. you said to me that um, when you were starting off trying to get your business up off the ground, you said, I remember going, quote, I remember going to my accountant and asking, why the hell is my husband's name first on my credit card? I was working. I was making more money. And you said he changed it, but that that was sort of the default. And that's just sort of a, a one small example of, I think, a larger picture of some some headwinds, as I mentioned earlier, that you faced as a female entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And that was just 22 years ago. But I wonder if you can talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it it was that thing of being kind of alarmed at, like, wait a minute. I'm working just as much doing so much. Why is this inequity there in all sorts of things? And, you know, there have been a lot of changes and a lot of things have come around, but it's, I don't know, I guess I don't dwell on it a lot. So I guess if you don't pay attention to stuff or give it a lot of energy, it doesn't tip you over. Cause I, I don't know. I just in business don't challenge me. I'll work I'll work harder than anybody will work. Don't tell me I I can't do it. Don't. I remember when we did our open house and someone from the state board came through and I overheard her saying, oh, this place is never going to make it. And then I met her years later. And I said, yeah, I remember when you were there. She says, yeah, I owe you an apology. And I'm like, okay. But it was that thing of, you know, don't tell me I'm not going to be able to do it. And one thing I've always taught Mariah you know, there's always going to be competition. And I'm like, don't be afraid of competition. It's good. It's good. It makes you better. It makes you fine-tune things. It makes you just keep trying. But don't look in the rearview mirror. Look in front. If you're looking in the rearview mirror, you're looking at them. Look where you want to be and think about what you want to do. Mind your own business. Mind your own business. Literally. You just... That's when... You know, you just don't get too hung up. You just can't think there's not enough. There's enough for everybody. There's, and you know, there's always room for a little bit more. So, kind of helps. Yeah. So Mariah is. I don't think we actually set that up. So Mariah is your daughter-in-law. Yes. And your very close business partner. Yes. Right. She yeah. manages. Well, she runs the coffee house. She and my son own the Black Dog Coffee House, and then she runs Joy of Living and and Sanctuary. I mean, I say she runs them because I have the freedom to leave when I need to, and she runs them. So um, we've kind of developed a very interesting relationship in that we accept that we're different generations and we come at it from different points. Like we used to love when we could go to market, and we'd go to market and pick things, and we came up with a rule that was, if it's a hell yes, we buy it. And that means if we both say yes, and then I defer to her, she'll have to say, this is a hell yes for me, for me to approve. Like, we recognize there's things she's going to enjoy and that I'm going to enjoy. They are not the same things. So that's kind of how we developed our buying, and it works really, really well. Same in business. You know, she has this energy and this ability to delegate, and she loves doing that. I'm terrible delegator. I like to work, and I like to just go do it. And that's my nature. So I work on it all the time trying to delegate, but she just loves it. So she can get way more done than I can and also has a really great rapport with a lot of the employees and in ways that 
you know, I don't. And so it's kind of like, whatever's my weakness, she'll take it off my plate and she'll tell me what she doesn't like doing. And a lot of times it's things I love doing. So it's been really super fun to be able to work with her. And it's made the businesses way better, Yeah, way better. But it took me a while to let go of trying to control and hang on to everything. And when I realized when you do, when you let go, you got freedom. It's pretty cool. Yeah. To do all the things you do, all the boards that you're on and all the community involvement that you do. Yeah. And you step away. Well, and, and, and the way... It's kind of the dream, right? The way like millennials can... like to work and do things. I've had to really learn. The deal is, do you know millennials want the exact same thing I do? The difference is, I believe that I did the time to earn it and they just want it naturally. It's the same stuff. We all want the same stuff. Freedom, the ability to make choices, to work when I want make what I want, all of that. We all want the same things, but I thought you had to do time for it. And when I finally kind of let go of that belief full on and go, well, maybe if they do work when they want, they'll be okay and they get just as much, if not more done. And that was a real eye-opener for me. Chris, I, I just, I want to do a, little, a quick go back, okay. which is, um, you know, when I asked you about any headwinds you faced as a female entrepreneur, you said, mm -hmm. don't dwell on it. And then, and then we moved on. If you have something you want to say on that point, I want to make sure we make space for it. I think probably for me, the most difficult thing was figuring out how to be a successful female business owner in my own way. I went through a few years of feeling like, I, I call it putting on a suit, feeling like you had to dress like a man and act like a man and think like a man to be respected and move ahead and grow. And so I made the mistake of emulating some of what I saw and it was very much a man and I real and and it was it was the the reaction of those decisions was really detrimental to my business. And once I finally got back to I'm not a man, I'm a woman and I see it this way because of the fact that I am a woman and I it's really powerful to see it this way. Once I, as I, I call it, took off the suit, I could get back to my core, which was what it was, and definitely had more empathy and more feeling and more of that come through in my business. And it was probably, you know, that was the most difficult thing is just trying to figure out how do I, how do, I do this, this whole thing called you know be successful in business what does that look like without you know there just weren't tons of role models to follow along as you know female role models to to kind of whether it's emulate or learn from that was a hard one that was a hard one and I think I fell back in love with my businesses when I just finally said screw it just be you just be you and do it. You, you're okay. It's okay. But, you know, there is a lot of doubt. You know, there was a lot of doubt and a lot of second-guessing and thinking you weren't, wasn't as good as it could be or whatever because it didn't look like that. And that's why I say now it's like, eh, I don't even think much about it. <laughs> Thank you.
I'd like to talk with you about this community of Billings, Montana. I'll just say that it's my hometown. I love it. I grew up here. My family is here. But you, Chris, you seem to love Billings maybe more than anyone I know. I do love this community as for all of its good and all of its pains. Yeah. I'd love to hear you describe your connection to the community of Billings. You know, I, I kind of ended up in a situation that I didn't ever think I would be, and it really happened because of my businesses and my business involvement. After you, you know, have a few years of success in a business, then people start looking to you as to how can you give back to the community. And, and I think it really started in the beginning with Sanctuary because a part I didn't expect of having a business was that people were going to come constantly asking for donations for all their nonprofit causes. And I used to hide when they would come in, I would hide in the back room because I'd be like, crap, I'm just trying to make a dollar. I got bills to pay. I got debt. I, are you kidding me? And it took me a while till something flipped and I realized, oh my gosh, this is part of business. It's giving back to your community. That's how it works. And it took us a while to kind of find our way with it, but then it became really a gift and we took pretty much most all of our advertising money and turned it into donations and supporting nonprofits and doing different kinds of things. And there's better years than some years. So we were able to do a lot some years and some years you're like this, you're pulling it back to, to manage. But it was really that thing when I figured out that people saw us as a player in the community, I realized I had a responsibility to give back to the community. The community had helped my businesses grow, given jobs to all my employees, and helped them have incomes for their families. So it was time to give it back out. And it's kind of an interesting circle because once I got over that hurdle of thinking there wasn't enough and realized there was enough, it created a whole different world for us. And then it got me involved being on some boards, doing some things, and, and um, that's how it all kind of started in realizing as a business owner you are part of a community and your responsibility is to help guide and direct what's going to come down and affect you and your people and help make decisions to move your community ahead over time I got involved my daughter-in-law started working with me so she took on a lot more of the management responsibilities for me and it gave me more time to get more involved and it's kind of became really a love of mine that I didn't even know existed was you know, just the community service of trying to help an organization or the community or something happen here. Yeah. What is it like? Can you tell us a little bit about sort of your experience growing up here, what part of town that was? And sort of, I just want to hear more about like, I don't mean to be too cheesy about this, but like the essence sort of of your love for yeah. the town. Well, I mean, I grew up very, you know, blue collar family. My parents both worked and you know, we didn't have a lot of extra, but, you know, I was in Girl Scouts, and we did those kind of things that you could do that didn't cost any money, and it was, you know, just interesting growing up, you know, we just, I was, it was so average, you know, and it wasn't till I got a little bit older that I um, really just, I mean, I just knew I didn't ever really want to leave Billings. I mean, I lived in Red Lodge for a little while. I lived in Bozeman for a very short period of time, but Billings is really home. I mean, there's something about this valley that has deep, deep roots for me. And I love the landscape. I love the rim rocks. I love the river. I love 
you know, I just love the sights of it. I even, you know, as much as people hate the smell of sugar beets and identify that with Billings, I mean, there's no one who doesn't know when they first smelled that. To me, that's the smell. It's Billings. And it's like, yeah, it means farmers are producing crops. It's, it's things are working. It's good. So, um, you know, there's a lot of aspects to it. Um, you said to me, quote, I'm always torn over Billings, what it could be, what it is, and what holds us back. And I wonder if you can talk about that. Yeah, I mean, it's there's several groups of people and pockets of people here that are very creative and bold and brave and want to bring new things in because part of it's economic. I mean, I understand from the privilege I've had of being on a lot of boards and learning about the community. And what I know is that we're an aging community and we do not have the workforce coming up organically. There aren't going to be people to fill people like me who will be retiring at some point here soon positions and jobs and we need to attract a talent from literally out of state I mean we can't even probably get enough to try to say we're going to compete in the state they're just it's such a shortage and so trying to keep you know my thing is I always feel like if we could just create a place that young people would want to live I mean really think about it what do they want they want great outdoor recreation they want great food they want places to gather they want to have um you know just ways to get together and enjoy life I mean I think their goals are really pretty spot on what if we built a place that they would want to live I mean I think it's stupid not to because number one they're going to take care of us who's going to push my wheelchair we just got a bunch of old people here there's gonna be nobody pushing anybody's wheelchair but it's it's seriously if you built a place that they wanted to live, they would come. And what they want is really pretty awesome. You know, I would enjoy it too. I mean, it would be a magical thing. People who have grandkids, their grandkids would want to come see them. I mean, I'm like, I think it just goes on and on and on, the possibilities of what it could be. And it just seems like time and time again, when we get close to some things that fit in those categories, they get shut down either by one vote or by fear or by you know what I told you I said I think the curse of Billings is the phrase that it's almost become our tagline is it's good enough things are good enough here and that's what I really struggle with with Billings is that I don't feel like things yeah they're good enough but let's make them amazingly better and create what we need for our future if we don't do that, we're going to be paying all the taxes to try to maintain what we have right now. We're going to be burdened with all of that. We need to bring in income and workforce and uh, commerce and all sorts of things to help add to our economy. It's going to come from outside dollars. It isn't going to come from in here, and that's why good enough is going to be our curse if it doesn't stop. One of the items that... You know, I think you worked really hard on the One Big Sky District and had your hands all over Colson Park, which is this master plan for a park down by where the river meets the rims. Is that right? Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, just a real recent plan that's just been completed. And then COVID kind of hit. So it's, I think, been kind of sitting there. I'm not, I really haven't paid a lot of attention, honestly, recently to what the status is and how it goes. But it's the same thing where it's going to take outside money. I mean, the community doesn't have the money. It's a city park. 
um, the money isn't there. Someone's going to have to find that money to develop it. It's an amazing park down on the river. We have the Yellowstone River running through our community, and we have so little access to it. It's ridiculous. So developing that gives access to everyone. doesn't matter your economic status, whatever. Anyone could go down and enjoy that park and be by the water and the beautiful cliffs and see everything that's it's part of the beauty of Billings, and yet we just let it sit. There's just a tiny little plaque down there that signifies it was the founding of Colson City, which was the beginnings of Billings. So it's like nuts. Was it's Colson nuts. City before it was Billings? Yeah, yeah. Go down there and look. Come if on. you can find it. If you can find your way down there, that's the other trick. Find your way down there. It's tricky. But it's amazing, you know. So it, it's just those kind of things that we have – you know, so much here, and we don't pay attention to really developing the things that I say would create a place that would draw young people to want to come here, live, and raise your family. I mean, the cost of living is better here than some of the other cities in Montana. It really is. For sure. You can get a house for so much less. You could, there's work opportunities here. There is so much Absolutely. opportunity. And those are the pieces that are missing in my in my mind. And that's how I see it. And others may disagree, but I think it's that simple. Did I see a stat that said in 10 years, 40% of Billings' workforce will retire? Is that right? I don't know if it's that high, but it's close. It's, it's shocking. And, you know, it really is. It really is kind of shocking. But it's, um, yeah. Do we see do we see young people who graduate from high school here leaving and not coming back? Yeah. So there's this sort of migration away from Billings of young people, and then there's no there's nothing pulling them in. Is that also well, the case? Other than it, it's really things good even jobs? like an NDO WDO not having that. I mean, I'm that's so something. So let's talk about that. I mean, that's something that young people don't even think twice about. It isn't an issue. Like I remember talking with John Brewer, the executive director of the chamber, and talking to his son, who's maybe junior high, high school, and he was explaining to his son what it was, and his son said, Dad, kids don't care about that. They don't care. Why, why would this be a big deal? We don't care. And it was just that's the whole mindset is they accept that this diversity is our world, you know, they see it in everything that they're involved with on the internet in their world. So who's got the problem? Well, they aren't millennials. So let's back up a little bit. What is, this has a big, been a big fight in Billings, as I, as I gather from, yes. from watching from afar. And um, something that is just really, really hard for people. I know that it's been hard for you. Um, as you've gone through this twice now, I think, right? To, in 2014 yep. mm-hmm. and then again in 2019. Is that right? Yep. Yep. So what is an NDO, a non-discrimination ordinance? It's just basically, to me, it's just, I see it as a human rights issue. Other people see it as other things. It's just to be welcoming to all, to not discriminate based on sex, color, whatever you want to put in the mix, you you put anything in there, but I just see it as a human rights thing that I'm like, how can this even be an issue? But it still is where you can be denied a rental based on your sexual preference. You know, it's like, to me, it's just such a, I mean, like last time when it came around, they had 
stickers that you just put this little small NDO sticker on your business saying, you know, I don't discriminate, you know, in my services or employment or anything. I had people call and return gift certificates saying, I'm not going to do business with you because you support this. Um, I'm not going to, you know, how dare you? I mean, awful to my team. And I'm like, I employ gay employees. I have Native American, Hispanic employees. My daughter-in-law is Korean. Are you kidding me? You really think I'm going to not support my workforce? These are my people. These are the people who, you know, are doing incredible services, enriching the community. And so it, it just stumped me that this would even be an issue. And I was surprised the last time it went down and it was a vote that the mayor decided to vote against. And I really, part of what the challenge of buildings is, when we need strong leadership, it tends to step down. It doesn't step up to take a chance. And yeah, there's risk in how you're interpreted by some of your base. And I know a lot of the opposition was religious beliefs, and that's what people believe. So I'm not going to try to convince them, but I just see it simply as a human rights issue. And all people should be treated the same. So this last time around, I was challenged because I didn't think we could win it in city council. And I say we as though it's me. It isn't me. I'm so privileged. I don't have any of the issues of it. But I didn't want to see the people who got up there and testified and tell their stories and were vulnerable and had exposed when they aren't particularly safe, um, be put on the spot again if we weren't going to win it. You know, and it was just like we just, it's the kind of thing you just count the seats on city council and you know how people are going to vote and you find out how they're going to vote. And if it isn't bigger than the other number, don't do it. It's, it's just keep working until you can get there. And that comes through getting people on the council who will support those kinds of things, getting people in the offices who will, you know, do what's good for the people. And, you know, that's a, it's a challenge, you know, and so we really put a lot of effort into trying to get people on and we had some success, but not enough. It's, it's always kind of one vote. That's the Billings thing. It's always one vote that tips a lot of things to not happening that could happen. So that's where my where I kind of get angst over, and I kind of would retreat, and then I think about it and think, no, we can do better. We, we just ha we can't give up. We have to keep trying to just push the needle to something more towards opportunity. But, um, you know, it's one that it will come up again. And, and I think now with the Black Lives Matter, I mean, I've never seen, I went to the protests, I've never seen as many young people out about something in Billings. I, there were thousands of people downtown, and it was like the most amazing thing I saw. I said, you know, you don't think they care. They care. They care deeply about what they care about. So wake up. And there's been some good things that have happened now. I mean, the chamber is taking on a stand of, setting up a whole committee of inclusion and diversity and people of color and different gender and not our typical slew of characters. 
put it that way. And and I think it's, you know, it's there's it takes a lot of guts to do that in buildings. It it takes bravery and the willingness to really say enough. Mm. This is enough. So, you know, once again, more good things are possible, but yeah. If we were sitting here and we had another person on on the mic, I, I'm I'm um mindful of the fact that one of the values of leadership montana is to invite the stranger right and that's a <laughs> sort of a a pillar of the leadership montana curriculum and and what that means is that you know who's not at the table that should be mm-hmm. and certainly not at this table is an opponent yes. of the wdo if they were sitting here now chris what do you think they would say is their greatest concern their chief point against the wdo a lot of it really boils down to it's in conflict with their religious beliefs. Okay. And that's why I say it's not about that. It's a human rights issue. I think everyone identifies that humans are all from the same source. And that's the difference where I see it. But that's typically what I hear. Is it's, and, and I can't argue with that. I mean, look, that, that's what you believe. That is what you believe. And and you hold that sacred and true, and, and I wouldn't expect you to change for you. However, all these other people are being impacted in a really, really unfair way, and it's just something that I'm, I'm tired of because, number one, it's not good for business. It's really not good for and it's not good for recruitment of young people, which is the root cause of what... Billings is going to suffer terribly from if we don't figure out a solution to that. Mm-hmm. It hurts because I'm just kind of like, we're just shooting ourselves in our own foot by not not wanting to make this change, you know, and it's that other thing that gives me so much angst is all these people are making decisions about things and they're not even going to be here when it happens. They're going to be dead. I'm not kidding. You know, I'll be dead when some of this stuff happens. So why wouldn't I not be making decisions for those who are help, listening to them and getting their input and collaborating and making decisions with them about what they want because they're the ones who are going to be fulfilling it and paying the taxes, really. And they're going to be doing the work of making it happen and growing this area. I'm going to... I'm not going to be around then. I mean, so many people aren't going to be around or aren't going to be actively participating in any of it. So it seems just so ironic to me that they are holding on so tight to the decision-making ability and not listening to the younger people and saying, I mean, I just really think younger people are super generous in spirit. They want to be part of things. And I'm just so tired of hearing well, this is what we're going to do. This is, and I'm just like getting it all wrong. Just, I just think the focus is so strange. And if it just could get flipped, we'd all have everything we need and more. We can do better. We can do better. And we need to work on it. I mean, the chamber asked their membership, is Billings doing everything it can be to be welcoming and inclusive? And 72% of the membership said no. Said no. We could do more. So I think that's an encouraging place to be if the business community is saying, no, we can do more. We can do more. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to make the people who have their beliefs wrong. I just want to include everyone in, in our community. 
We need them. Down the home stretch. So before we enter the lightning round, I want to offer you an opportunity to share a story of your choosing. Gosh, I feel like I've told you every story there is. I think for me, the, the other story is how rich my life is because of the people who've come on this journey with me, you know, like working with my daughter-in-law, but the countless women and men that have worked with me in the businesses, there's only a few men, but you know, really special places. Cause these are people who stepped up to be in line with this mission of taking care of women, taking care of people, if we want to be more general, but it's really stepped up to do work in that way. And to have that, you know, kind of in your business world, in your life and say, you know, this is a thing that people really want to do this and it matters to them and how they show up and give it. And I always, I always tell somebody new when they come in, all the success that here is from people who are not in the room anymore. There's no one who came to work with us that didn't bring a gift, who didn't bring something with them that they deposited in this place. Um, they all touched it in a way, and that's why you're stepping into this success. It's from all those people before you who gave it, and they left it here. There's essences of it all over there. I mean, when you walk in that place, it feels pretty good, yeah? Yes. It does. I told you I wanted a massage. Uh, but it does, but it's it's because of that kind of energy. And even during COVID when we remodeled, you know, the staff came in. And, I mean, we did it all ourselves. We redid it all to make it safe for our guests and fix everything up we could painted and did new floors and tore out all the stuff they came in and helped they literally did they came in and helped and helped paint and helped do all that I mean who's that lucky I mean I've just got amazing employees so I think for me you know it's it's like we can talk about me but it's really not it's not me it's this people who share this journey that's what makes that's what makes me want to get up in the morning you know it's it's really the collective and what people can do together that gives me my juice okay so we're going to enter the lightning round now which is so much fun okay okay your definition of leadership boy doing something worth fighting for that people want to join you with on the journey. The last thing that made you laugh uncontrollably. Oh my gosh. It has to be the amazing fish I just caught on the Yellowstone River that was so killer. <laughs> 20 inch brown trout. Amazing. You just started laughing? Oh God, yes, because we were yeah. so surprised. It was such a, it was, yeah. Sorry. Most people don't find that funny. I think your I Instagram do. handle is Chris Loves Fishing, right? <laughs> it is. I do love fishing. Um, your favorite thing about being in business so closely with your daughter-in-law? Oh, my gosh. Just being able to have so much fun with somebody that I love so much. You have two kids. Yes. The most important lesson you can or have taught your children Listen to your heart. The thing you enjoy doing most in Montana. 
Fly fishing. Fly fishing. <laughs> hello. And looking for agates. That would be second. Looking for agates? Oh, I love to look for agates. I love rocks. Oh, my God. That's the rancher in you, isn't it? It is. Oh, my God. I love rocks. It's the best. I have, I have bowls of them. Seriously. Ask anybody. I have bowls of them. What do you do with them? I set them all over my house. It's happy memories. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you could snap your fingers and change one thing in Billings, what would that be? Leadership. Boom. Same thing, but for Montana. Oh. Collaboration. To see people think of we instead of me or us, whatever. To really, really act as a unit. Mm-hmm. Something you care deeply about that we haven't discussed in this interview. Tequila. <laughs> Oh, my God. I love tequila. Me, too. All right. How do you drink it? Straight up. Straight up? Mm-hmm. But you just sip it. You don't, you don't, you sip it. Totally. My haircut. Your haircut? My hair? Or my haircut? No, mine. Your haircut? Well, yeah, because you're a hairstylist, and I just, am, every time I'm around you, I'm a little self-conscious, because <laughs> I coat a great clips, <laughs> 12 bucks. Stop it. Could be better. (laughs) (laughs) You asked. Uh, Anything else you want to add before we we finish up? No, thanks, Eric. You're fun. This is great. Chris Carpenter, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks to Chris Carpenter for taking the time to come on the show. And thanks to you for listening in. If you've enjoyed today's show and want to support Listen First Montana, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Those small steps can really help us connect these stories to more listeners. Our intro song is a rendition of the Montana State Song by Scott Gudger, and our other music is from Blue Dot Sessions. We'll see you in two weeks with our next episode. Until then, I'm Eric Halverson. Thanks for listening to Listen First, Montana. Montana.